Hello, welcome to Mediation Station. This is your host, Greg Fenton. Each week we explore topics and ideas related to the experience of people with conflict and look to promote the profession of conflict resolvers. We are available to connect with at greggf at primus.ca and 647-227-4734 is the number. Visit us at our Facebook page to like us and Facebook group page to become a member. Also visit YouTube channels for both CHHA 1610 AM and for Greg Fenton. Listen to podcasts of each radio show by visiting either of soundcloud.com or iTunes podcasts under Mediation Station in the Arts area. Please follow us at our Twitter account, at Fenton Mediation. Our topic tonight is called The Current and Future State of Giving in Canada with June Finley. Hi, June. How are you? Hello. I am well. How are you? I'm doing okay. I'm fine. I really appreciate you being here and us being in person. Of yeah. course, we have barriers amongst the two of us. Mm-hmm. And uh, I look forward to our conversation. Yes, same. It's also nice to get out of the house, but it's great. So that's really the reason why you're out. Yeah, you among know. other things. Yeah, <laughs> I can appreciate that. <laughs> so what is your interest in community? Let's start with that kind of a base to build upon. Yeah, so community to me has always meant um, an inclusive space where people can feel like they can be themselves, to express themselves as they are, to talk about various issues, to ask questions, um, and to be able to act on things that may be either helping someone or addressing an issue or things like that. It's always like, no matter what I've done, whether it's been in volunteer or work, I've always been thinking about that when I enter a community or I'm a part of one or I'm asked to be a part of one. So that that's always what community has, has meant to me throughout my life. How, how would you identify community when I say that word too? Mm-hmm. Um, I would say community is a safe space, but it's also a space that change can happen. Yeah, I would say that. And it's comprised of, uh, community members. Yep. Comprised of community members from various lived experiences, um, various races, various perspectives. Um, but yeah, especially like, yeah, when you, when it comes to race and lived perspectives, that's mostly what I think about. Yeah, and each each community is uh, comprised of its own mm-hmm. characteristics yeah. and lived experiences, as you said. And mm-hmm. you know, for us to say, okay, it's community, it's that community is just like the next one, right? Would be unfair, I yeah. believe. Yeah, I think so too. So, mm-hmm. so how about you share some information about your professional profile background? Sure. So um, this is actually, I'm in actually in my second career in my life. I'm in my late 30s, but I've had two careers passed so far. Believe it or not, I was in finance and banking the first few years. Um, but I was always passionate about communication and languages and um, finding out how I could help other people. And so um, I'm, I'm in advertising now. I've been in social media marketing for about seven and a half years. Um, and that was after I went back to school to do my master's in media communication science at Mid-Sweden University in Sundsvall, which is a lovely little town in almost the middle of the country, slash middle of nowhere of Sweden, but it's lovely. Um, but after I came back, it's when I started to use my social media savvy. I'd only had Facebook for a few years before that, but it was actually part to be part of a community, since we're talking about community. Right, yeah. After I had been um, on the exchange bursary program that the federal government had offered 
Um, I spent some time in Quebec and that's when I got Facebook. So I'd always been part of a community that way. But I had used that expertise and knowledge to kind of just use my curiosity to funnel it into something that's like, okay, well, um, I can, I have this knowledge. I know I, I love photography. I have an eye for it. So I used that to start my first internship um, with Journalists for Human Rights, which is, uh, they're still around. They're still a great uh, small organization that um, uses workshops and things to foster change, to change, um, to tell journalistic stories in various parts of the world and, and at home here with um, Indigenous communities. Um, but I got my official start with the YMCA of Greater Toronto, mm-hmm. um, and I was part of their first social media staff. They had never really had a presence um, not a solid, they had a Facebook page and not really a, a social media presence like they do now. Now their presence is very well felt and known. Um, but I was, I was there when they got started. So, um, stemming from that, um, worked in various other fields like law, um, worked for UNICEF for a few l- lovely months. Um, but I eventually ended up an ad agency. So that's pretty great. I lead, um, creative social for that. So, yeah. So, so what is it about being a person who's so, seems passionate too and you can make a living at it mm-hmm. with social media mm-hmm. what's the connection for you with that well, sorry repeat the question one more time the connection the connection with... of social media yeah. because that's your yeah i mean it sounds like a passion from what i'm hearing it is from a you. passion it and, is a passion. and you can make a living at it too which yeah is which a, i a was bonus. it is a bonus and i was very surprised about that because um for me it was just like it, it really kind of came together when I started when I first started the YMCA I was it was supposed to be a short contract for one of their younger for one of their youth exchange programs um but it kind of had the whole thing for me for me the appeal was I get to create this cool content for this very cool program that has travel which I love um I love engaging with young people I actually got to hang out with them sometimes on site and really just being around young people is super, it gives you a lot of energy. energy and I, feel, yeah. I love that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just being able to use social media. And once I realized social media is used to connect people and ideas and causes, it really helps to sell a cause very well. And essentially, that's what they had hired me for is like we need, even though they most of their funding had come from Canadian Heritage, the points to get their funding every year, because they had to apply every year like most charities do, is to show that people enough people had registered and benefited from the programs that I could get a, either the same budget or more next year. So I realized that my role in that was very vital because if we didn't literally show the receipts, we weren't going to get the money. And so um, I realized that, you know, especially through photography, because I'm sure like everyone knows the National Geographic, National Geographic famous various famous photos over the years. And I, a family friend had a subscription and gave them to us. And so I grew up loving National Geographic. So photography has played a role in my life for many years. And so I realized that was the key to being able to help organizations get what they needed, but not necessarily like um, everything's kind of, you know, psychology, manipulation, things like that. But there's times where it's like, people just need to see the results of what they're giving to or what they're contributing to. And that helps. Well, it sounds like a lot of what it's messaging Absolutely. You know, words, spoken words. Yeah. And the visuals. Yeah. And, yeah. And, people... and sometimes more the visuals because nowadays, especially people, people don't read enough. Uh, so it's for me, at least with my, my last few current roles, picking, curating the photos has been more important than, of course, writing is important too. Words mean things and they're very important. I'm still a writer at the end of the day. Picking the right photo that makes you, that has that thumb stopping action. I'm thinking about when you scroll through Instagram and your thumb stops. Yeah. That's what really matters. And then they can read the words afterwards. 
Well, you know, with the idiom, a picture's worth a thousand words. Absolutely. So you want to identify a particular photo, picture, image yes. that will resonate to expand a person's curiosity and yeah. deepen their understanding and open the pathway to explore potentials. Yeah, absolutely. It's a gateway to learning more about someone, something, an issue. To me, it's a, it's a, it's a, it should be a spark to learn more. I don't, I shouldn't need to tell you everything in one photo because that is, especially for, you know, various topics, it's very complex and that's impossible. But at the very least, and no matter what I'm doing and whatever role I've done, my job is to get you interested enough to learn more about this thing, whether it's to buy a car or donate money or even just learn about this cool thing that this cool business that's in your area that may not have had uh, exposure, but, you know, it's in front of you now. And so, hey, you might learn about it or tell someone else about it. And each person as an individual yeah. will process their moments, mm -hmm. their images, their uh, whatever they hear, yeah. their experiences their own way. And so there's infinite numbers of ways that people can actually interpret or m take meaning or create meaning from whatever's presented to them. That's true in a creative sense and like aspirational sense, but also coming from a data background too, I know that we can predict certain ways and that people will act. I mean, there's reasons why Facebook can do what it does and f Twitter can do what it does and Instagram can do what it does because while there are individual exceptions to the rule because there's exceptions to everything, we as social managers, analysts, um, data mappers, all of that, we know what human nature is and we know what people are most likely to share. So there's that underlying too. Well, that, that, that's the underlying intention or purpose. Yeah. There's yeah. a motivation. So you used yeah. the word earlier, manipulate. Yes, yes. Right? In yep. terms of creating a construct that has an intention or purpose yep. for the audience mm -hmm. that you're trying to present that information for. Yeah, and most times it's it's good and, and or benign. It's only certain times like now going towards the U.S. election where you might find things that are, you know, not so truthful and not necessarily meant to to encourage discussion just to... Um, give you this certain perspective and that it sticks with you before you act on something. And I, and I think part of the thing with that too is that people get that image or that message and they take it as verbatim or as the truth. Yeah. And they don't question it. They're not necessarily curious about it mm -hmm. to say, oh, okay, I see this. What else? I, I know what I'm seeing. Mm -hmm. what, am, what else am I not seeing? So right. like in my world, working with people with conflict, yeah, it's like working in communications with uh, the verbal and the nonverbal. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. most of the communication, from my experience, is with the nonverbal stuff. Right. And, and just because people say things also doesn't mean necessarily that's truly what they want. Yeah. You have to kind of find that. And in your role, that's that's the benefit of what you get to do. You get to sit there with them and work through it with them. I unfortunately have to present you with this thing and then you're on your own. I don't necessarily, and yes, I'm the community manager most times too, where I'm answering questions or some comments, but ultimately it is mostly, a, well, depends on the brand. Some brands are, you know, they're built to have two-way conversations and even some brands like Glossier, which is a really famous um, makeup grant brand, they actually get a lot of their R&D ideas through social media, like Instagram DMs, like messages. They get, messages from customers and they're like, hey, this thing is cool, but what if it did this? But then there's other things where, you know, the some either it's an older brand or 
um, an auto brand where they, it's very legal based and they have to really be rigid in terms of, you know, how they can, if they answer, how they answer, and then where that gets directed, right? So not every brand is a two-way conversation. It, essentially, we always say it should be a two-way conversation, but it really depends on the brand. But either way, a conversation is happening, but depends on whether it's one way or two way. <laughs> Which I would find hard with a conversation if it was one way. Yeah, and honestly, that's not natural to me either. But sometimes, you know, legal and stuff comes into play, and then it has to be sometimes. <laughs> that's yeah, and I, I appreciate that that's part of the dynamic from you know a system based type of mindset or approach. Yeah, like I work with, I work with the justice system and the family courts and the small claims courts. Right. So those are like constructs that are mm -hmm. defined, mm -hmm. and it's like people, uh, the community, mm -hmm. when they intersect with the system. Yeah. They have to adapt themselves for the system. Yeah. Whereas the approach that I believe a lot of us believe in terms of community-based mm -hmm. is that the community, it's client-centric. It's about adapting to the community members. Right. Yeah. And so it's more mm -hmm. inclusive, mm -hmm. especially about diversity and individuality. Yeah. The yeah. nuances of what's unique about you relative to the next person. Mm-hmm. And mm -hmm. relative to the next neighborhood, relative to the next group. Yeah. Yeah. Even to the next country in some respects. But then that's getting real complex. <laughs> How do you see the realities that people experience in their lives? Um, so as myself, like personally, um, it depends on like, I always, I, I always use the term lived experience. And I think that's how I kind of think that people experience in their own realities is like based on your upbringing, where you're from, who your family is, what your values are, that's how you mostly have this, you know, this core belief. I'm thinking about these uh, sessions I've had with my therapist where you have these core beliefs about things and based on those core beliefs, whether they're true or not, that's how you have your worldview, right? Right. And so, you know, but then sometimes there's a lot of unlearning you need to do because whatever you, whatever form those core beliefs might not necessarily be true, right? You might believe that, you know, um, this type of experience is not like something that you may think like, hey, bananas are terrible because my grandma mashed them up in such a terrible way that it was unappealing to me, um, to the eyes and to the stomach. Or actually a great example is those, um, the old school, I, I was born in the early 80s. And so there is a time when, you know, I used to, I was at the hospital a lot for um, my asthma and we'd always get these medicines that you taste like bubblegum, cherry, banana, like these really gross flavors. I'm sure are not around now because I think they finally got the message. But, you know, for a while I didn't eat bananas because there's this terrible banana flavored medicine that I hated, but I had to take it because it was for my medicine. It was only a few years later that I finally was like, oh, they're actually not only they're healthy for you, but you know, they taste good. You can put them in different things. You can make banana bread. They're amazing. Right. But that early formative stage, you're like, this is my experience with it and it's terrible. But then later on, you kind of unlearn that and you're like, oh, bananas aren't that bad. And actually that's not even banana. It's artificial. <laughs> it's an artificial flavoring concocted by some guy in a lab. So in some ways, I feel like the way we go through life and experience situations, things like that, it's a lot of we form corn beliefs and then we unlearn them and then relearn some new truths for ourselves based on what stage we are in life and who we're interacting with. But also now, like, and really now there's a conversation about, you know, there's been a conversation about mental health and, you know, self-care and all these other things, but really reflecting on yourself without anyone else's, um, mm -hmm. 
looking at you and for how you view yourself, how you view yourself, not how someone else views you. Yeah. Right. And so I feel like that's even more so now, like in the last few years and a lot of young folks, we've been really able to take control of that, of, of that part of the conversation and be like, our parents may not have been able to, they've experienced a lot and they may not be able to process it, but we're starting to recognize that, hey, this is something we need to at least talk about yeah. and keep going through that. And so I feel like that's how, you know, humans have gone through life. And the other way I look, I see it is storytelling. Like storytelling is one of the oldest forms of communication in any language ever. And so that's kind of formed my worldview on what I've been doing or who I've been interacting with. It's like, what what story can we tell from this? And how can we use that to either change our perspective or keep going on the same path or whatever else? So long answer to a short question, but. It's informative because yeah. it helps unpack you somewhat. Yeah. And it helps people hear that and say, maybe something within me, it, I share something of that. With yeah. You. And, you know, we have more that we share mm -hmm. rather than seeing as uh, our differences as barriers. Mm -hmm. They're mm -hmm. actually opportunities for us to build upon and create those connections. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So how do people benefit from having opportunity to deal with challenges in their lives? What, what are those ways that people try to deal with those? Um, I mean, there's certain coping mechanisms that we have, especially now during a pandemic where everyone's like, hey, uh, I have access to more food than I ever had in my life, or I don't have enough access to any food. There's those polar opposites, different things like that. Um, but using those opportunities to move forward, it's, I mean, this time has really, and maybe I speak for myself, but maybe for a lot of other people too, it has forced us to stand still. What do you mean by that? Like, we're so busy with things that now we are forced to be at home. We have to be quiet. We have to be still, even just for a few minutes. But, and I, I speak for my, in some ways I speak for myself because I'm single and I live at home alone, but there's other people who have families and may not get the quietness. But, but at the same time, either way, we're so, we've been so busy with doing things with just busy with being busy that, you know, we have to stay home to stay home now for me, at least has provided an opportunity to really do a lot of reflection and be like, where, what does all of this mean? What have I done that I'm proud of? What have I done that I'm not proud of? And what can I do to learn or unlearn some things about, you know, various truths or whatever else that I can move forward with that? Or what what resources do I have that I can help other people? I end up doing um, for my birthday because I'm very fortunate that I'm A, I'm still employed. B, I'm working at home where I can, I can do my job virtually anywhere. And I have been. And then C... I have the resources to be able to help someone else. So for my birthday this year in June, typically I have, I celebrate all month because my birthday is at the end of the month. And it's really usually terrible to get anyone together because there's so much happening at the end of the month, but I'll have events all month just to get, see all my friends. But this year I was like, okay, I know the majority of my friends are also fortunately still working and mostly at home. So instead of like, hey, buy me a gift or buy me a drink and go out, Save your money, and I listed 37 Black-owned, Black-facing, or Black-serving organizations in Toronto, but also throughout Canada, that I was like, okay, here, put your money where your mouth, you really want to celebrate my birthday, put your money where your mouth is. 
I can use my network and my abilities and social and all that to influence other people to help these organizations in Toronto. Because there are a lot of, like, after the whole reckoning with, you know, after George Floyd and all of that, the Black Squares, which honestly didn't mean anything, a lot of people were just left, they're like, what can I do? And I was like, cool, you know what? Open your purse. <laughs> Open your purse. So I was like, let's get this together. And I was using, I now was feeling pretty helpless too, but I was like, no way, I have things I can use to help other people. I have some finances on the side. I have a network that I can get other people to, and I have a little bit of influence. So let me, and this is before the whole Twitter thread mm -hmm. blew up. So let me get my friends and family. And I even managed to get some folks in the States. I have coworkers in the U S and they were giving to these funds that based on the, the description of the charities that I gave them. And they're mostly based here in Toronto. That was like, they're like, yeah, here's, here's the receipt. I would post, there was a, a, tw a trend on Twitter, especially of people making a donation, and then they would post a picture of the receipt, and they're like, who wants to match this? And so I did that on Twitter and Instagram and ended up getting double sometimes, and that was great. So, long, again, long answer to a short question, but I think it's made of us realize what's truly important to us and what might be left to the side or, you know, maybe what you need to refocus, right? Um, and things, and what you, and what you have, you use to someone else's advantage, hopefully. And, you know, you, you talked about reflection, which yeah. I'm a really strong proponent of, mm -hmm. you know, questioning oneself mm -hmm. in relation to another yeah. and seeing how, you know, st I believe it starts with self. Yeah. I can't have a healthy relationship with someone else until mm -hmm. I appreciate what a, it is for me. Absolutely. Yeah. So being self-aware mm -hmm. and connecting within, and then I can look to transcend to another yeah. to make that connection to build upon. Yeah. And Absolutely. work it out. Mm -hmm. And so the strength is starting with self. Yeah. And then uh, taking some step, mm -hmm. tangible, concrete step, because it's great to have, talk about it. Mm -hmm. It's, though, for me, yeah, useless if it just stays there. Same. Yeah. You got to do something with that talk. Yeah. And put it into play. Make some tangible step, as you've promoted, like you said with your birthday, the example of that, yeah. supporting black-owned businesses. Mm -hmm. You know, people, and you as an influencer, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. have that power yeah. to, you know, uh, communicate to people who believe in you, trust in you, yeah. and then they can act upon that, and then it can create some kind of flow and movement of some form. Yeah, and I was actually kind of floored that it made such an impact like it did. I think I, I still have to, you know, do the final count because some friends were still donating. But I think we definitely raised something like closer to a thousand dollars or something like that, which is pretty awesome considering I was like, hey, if we just raise a couple hundred for these things, it's fine. And I'll, I'll always make my own donations anyway, but it multiplied and it actually inspired a couple of my friends to do their own campaigns in their own way about promoting charities and things like that so and it raises awareness of the uh organizations of the businesses especially the well. smaller ones and that was uh, that's why i was especially focused on the smaller organizations because of course you're going to have your ymcas your united ways and whatever and they're you know of course they do great work and but they're they're the ones that people think of first yeah for me it's always been the smaller ones maybe it's because i i started out at a small charity but I've always been thinking about who's not getting enough exposure. Yeah. And then you go from there. And most of the time you hear about these organizations on, I'm on Instagram, most of the, Instagram and Twitter are my main ones. So I hear about a lot of information about either individuals, whatever else on those platforms. And then I'll, I'll amplify it where I can. 
yeah, there's a lot of precarious individuals and there's a lot of precarious businesses. Yep. Especially mm-hmm. with our current conditions of COVID. Absolutely. And that's just so much more pronounced. So, yeah. you know, creating the awareness, mm-hmm. self-awareness, awareness exten- externally, and then, yeah. you know, the investment of that energy in the moment mm-hmm. can create a legacy for that to continue and build upon for the future. Sure. Absolutely. So what are charities? When I say that word charities, mm-hmm. what comes to mind for you? Uh, such an existential question, especially in the year of our Lord 2020. And remember, we have a limit for time for tonight. That's true. Just joking. That's, uh, no, honestly, it's like, how much time you have? But no, uh, seriously, I, what is charity? So yeah, that, I mean, and that's what I've been, you know, not struggling with, but really thinking about, especially since I left the charity world almost three years ago, is, and after spending so much time in it, both working and volunteering, it's like, what exactly is it anyway? Who's... Who does it? Who does that concept belong to? Whatever, but for me, it's a space where people are able to be whose needs are addressed first. Addressed because you have to address the problem before you can even begin of thinking of solutions. First, you have to address and acknowledge that there's an issue that needs to be rectified, either by some socioeconomic status or situation or marginalization or things like that, and then then it's another space where people can come together to provide a solution. Essentially, like the the idea of a charity, ultimately, should be to put itself out of business. If you really are about that life, as we say, that's I know that's a slang term I'm using. But if you're really about, you know, helping people and all of that, the ultimate goal of any charity should, should be to put itself out of business. I realize that it's controversial, and that a, you know, especially now with so many things being amplify because of, you know, either governments unwilling or unable to act more or have been pulling away or even just the status of various societies around the world, like being even worse off than they were before. You know, we do need charity, especially like with the United Nations. There's a reason they've been around for 70 plus years is because the the problems they tackle are so complex that it will take several lifetimes to even tackle one of them. We only, what, they only just, they only just not cure, but they only, they finally got 100% 100% polo vaccine. And now with COVID, it's been knocked back like what, five years? I was listening to Axios interview with Melinda Gates and she was like devastated because they were like, they had helped that to happen where polio was, you know, almost eradicated. And yeah. because of COVID, it's knocked back like six years of the progress. So eventually, yeah, the, those types of things you want to be able to scratch off your list and all of that. But, but yeah, to charity, but the ultimate thing is to charity is like, you have a problem that's identified. You have people that are using their talents and skills to be able to address and think about the solution to the problem, and then you solve the problem. But even though it's a very simple situation, it's a, because of you know society and humans are very complex. So of course, charities have to be complex, but some have grasped that very quickly and efficiently, and others still haven't, which is unfortunate. Well, yeah, and you talked about the more sophisticated ones and the ones that are less sophisticated for Mm -hmm. various reasons. And yeah, ideally, it's to put themselves out of business. Because if you've identified a a concern or issue that's in the community, and then you create an entity Mm -hmm. and create a a mandate and a project or initiatives or Mm -hmm. whatever you want to call it Mm -hmm. to try to address, quote, the concerns or the issues... And ideally, if it reaches a point where there's a a way to satisfy all the issues, mm-hmm. they're no longer necessary. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Therefore, we close up our, quote, business, our 
not-for-profit or a charity. Yeah. yeah. Which, you know, it's, I appreciate that on one level. Yeah. And another level, as you said, it's, it's more sophisticated than that, too. It's more complex than that. Absolutely, because humans are complex. And they're changing, too, all yeah. the time. Mm -hmm. And the circumstances yeah. and, and mobility and people migrate. And there's change always happening within communities. Always happening. And there's not necessarily, and depending on what society or type of society you're living in, you know, the overall governing body might not even be able to even address certain situations that they can even help, which is why charities come in and step in the gap. But it's been interesting in terms of developed countries um, where charities have to step in and do things that really government should be doing, but instead they're handling it. And honestly, that's the shift I've seen. Even in the, the short few years I've been volunteering and working in the charity business, I've seen more of that shift from, you know, government being a hand in helping whatever else to being like, okay, so cool. You're going to do this. We're going to download this stuff to you and you guys handle it because you have the, you have the opportunities, you have the community, but the charities still need the money and the overall infrastructure to help them out, do their, to do their thing. That's the unfortunate thing I've seen. And that's just in the last like six, seven years. I'm there are, I know there are some very esteemed colleagues that I've worked with over the years. that have definitely seen that in the last maybe couple of decades so and i've only just seen the last six seven years of it i'm a i'm an infant in that sense well the, the thing too with charities is that um there there are ones that are here today and gone tomorrow yep and you know it depends on who's involved in the decision making within that organization or mm -hmm. entity mm -hmm. and how uh they're altruistic and how uh they value the intention of the mandate yeah to deliver the service, mm -hmm. and sometimes there's corruption yeah. of the decision makers, the authorities within who are there to create those yeah. initiatives. It's unfortunate, and it undermines mm -hmm. the and it, uh, it undermines that organization. Though it also undermines others. Absolutely, because it it gives a bad name to other. Yeah, the bad apple spoils the bunch. I mean, it's a very old phrase, but it still works. <laughs> it's the worst described situation. Yeah, I mean, my background too is with uh, community based up in Jane and Finch, and it was in existence from '87 till 2011 when it closed because its core issue was core funding. And for yep. many not for profits, it was a not for profit and charitable. Mm -hmm. So, how about we just distinguish mm -hmm. what's charity and not for profit? Oh, that's hard. So, with Charities is like not for profit mostly most of the time has government has a hand in it where there's grants or things like that um and charities can have government donations, but um most of the time they they feed off of donors they they operate from donations from the general public or private um foundations but non profits more or less like a good example that like the United Way is a non profit because i mean they don't they don't, they pay, they're huge, they don't make any profits, but the majority of their programs are funded by various levels of government, right? Whereas you have a charity, like a smaller, it's most time it's smaller, but sometimes you have charities that are big, even though they call themselves charities and should be nonprofits, but they're charities. But most times it's really involvement, absence or involvement of government. That's really the difference between a, a nonprofit and a charity most of the time. But even then there's some conflation depending on mm -hmm. what the charity is and all that. But to me, it's usually the absence or the presence of government involvement and or money. And with the charity though, too, the connection with CRA, Canada Revenue Agency. Yes, of course. So when register. people make a donation, mm -hmm. they can get a tax, a tax receipt. receipt. 
which mm-hmm. then they can put on their tax return and get some benefit to absolutely. lower their tax payable. Yep. Right? Yep. Absolutely. Whereas not-for-profits can issue those kinds of receipts. That's right. Yeah, exactly. Thanks. I forgot about the tax part, too. <laughs> and, and that's part of the issue, too, with uh, many not-for-profits, because yeah. they don't have that ability yeah. to ask for donations that will thus... Well, they can ask for donations all the time, and yeah. they do. Mm-hmm. The thing is, they can't give a tangible return on it, if yeah. you want to call it, to yeah. say, I'll give you a tax receipt. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You people got to donate because yeah. they believe in the cause or the, yeah. the issue, and that there's nothing coming back to them per se, other than their fulfillment of doing that. Yeah, but also a tax receipt is nice. Yes, <laughs> so. right. So that's the, the added level that charities yeah. can benefit from. Of course, yeah, that's true. Thank you. I forgot about. See, I've been so focused on like, and this most of the time. I'm not focused on the, the philanthropy and the donation part. I've been adjacent to it, but most time I'm just like the narrative and whatever else. So, I mean, but as a donor, a donor myself, yeah, of course, I've been getting a lot of tax receipts back from places. So, yeah, as a consumer, that's important to me. Sure it is. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one, you want to give it to something you're aligned with that yeah. you value, yep. that you know will have value. Mm-hmm. Because when you give the money, you want to know it's going to the right cause and the right purpose. Yeah, and it has the right charitable number that you can look up because it's public record. So it's accountable. Yep. And there's transparency. There's transparency, which, uh, I mean, depending on where you've been, might have seen my work or listened to me, I've been saying this. So, yeah, it's super important. So from your perspective, how affected are charities and not-for-profits in terms of their mandates? How How effective effective are they? are they? Yeah. It depends what the mandate is. And this is the other thing I've been thinking about when talking with various people in the charity sector about the effectiveness, because um, actually I've been watching quite a few TED Talks on charity, just A, for research on different things, but also just because I'm a nerd and I love TED Talks. But there's been, there was a, a particular one that was done in Unionville, I think either last year or the year before by one of, I think, the marketing director of Ronna McDonald House. And she had a couple of really great points. And, like, basically the, so, like, the mandates of charities, a lot of them have not changed because a lot of the things, and this kind of harkened back to when I was in nonprofit too, it's just like, you know, if you suggest something new or you're like, hey, let's, you know, even just to modify, not a complete, like, throw the baby out with the bathwater. It's just saying, why don't we do it this way? And we're like, no, no, this is the way we've always done it. Mm-hmm. And we're going to keep doing it like this because the people who are in charge have been there for 20, 30, 40 years. And honestly, they don't want to. But that's from me coming in as a young person being like, why don't we change everything? So, but that's what I do anyway. So all that to say, um, it depends what the charity's mandate is because, Society has changed a lot. Like going back to that TED talk, society has changed a lot. And as a result, the charities that serve that society should change with it. They should not be static and change along with the progression of society. Of course, the bigger ones can't change as much or quickly because bureaucracy and all of that is a real thing. Um, but the more effective charities are the ones that recognize the changing consequences and situations and lived experience of the people and even the we were talking about migration earlier even just like the migration of people in and out of a society you should be able and this is where data is so important too you're able to track this stuff like with covid i cannot believe the city didn't track racial data because that is a real thing we need to know that stuff and that's how you're able it's why we take a census it's why we have you know election data we need to be able to track where people are 
And not necessarily in like a surveillance thing. It was just to say, just to document, this is a person that exists in this community and has these tendencies. And as a result, this is what, how we can use our resources to help them. So charities should be able to do that as well and move along with it. But unfortunately, a lot of charities have not been able to do it. But it's mostly because they're either unwilling. A lot of, I am actually, t- I take more of an issue with those that are unwilling to do it because, again, they're like, this is the way we've always done it. It's always worked. It doesn't mean it has to keep working. But then there are just as many others who cannot because they don't have the resources to. Much of what you say resonates with me in terms yeah. of, I see my, my uh, work as not dealing with conflict per se, it's yeah. dealing with change. Yes. People struggle with change. Yeah, all the time. It, it's a constant, ever-present reality. Yeah. And how we intersect with those moments mm-hmm. depends then how the outcomes are, whether they're positive or negative per se. Yeah, yeah. And so if we can take ownership of being somewhat proactive mm-hmm. to take responsibility for our moments yeah. more than letting them happen to us, mm-hmm then we have a greater capacity to what I call adapt. Yeah. So adaptability is being Mm -hmm. able to be aware and then be mindful of having a a list of different possibilities to then say, what needs to happen in this moment? Mm -hmm. So when you talked about community Mm -hmm. and the ever-changing realities of community, for example, with migration, Mm -hmm. different groups coming in, and different groups moving out, yeah. and then the impacts and the unexpected of life, yeah. i.e. COVID, yep. we have to be able to adapt. So community, as we talked about earlier, it is, for me, yeah. it's about adapting to the, its realities, being yeah. client-centric, mm-hmm. not where the system is, where it's system-based. You have to adapt to the system. Yeah. I believe the system needs to adapt to its users. And that's where it's, and even from a social media perspective, this is, that's been the, you know, the watershed moment in advertising in general. Like if you, one of my favorite TV shows is Mad Men. And now that I'm in that world, it is honestly pretty much the same. But the, the thing with advertising in general now, and this is really from, has been from 10 years ago is that, you know, you always have your 360 campaigns where you have TV. TV always led things, and it still does in a lot of cases. But um, where people like myself have had to struggle and really fight for is like, hey, we need to go to people. They're not going to come to us anymore just because we're this brand or we're that brand. People are more fickle than anything else nowadays, especially now that there's too much choice. And so we have had to, the and, and the ad industry has had to have a reckoning in terms of, you know, oh, they're not just going to watch us on television because it's what we do and we sit down and watch the um, the Andy Griffith show because it's going to, everyone's watching this one show at the same time. No, no, we have, you know, six streaming services that none of them have commercials. And then if you happen to have a television or if you happen to have TV cable, which I have for the first time in my life and I'm 37 years old, I can see commercials for the first time and not have to, you know, I have to sit through it and actually watch it. But that's years. I've never had to do that before i've always just had my streaming services and i may see ads on social that's where i've seen ads the majority of my life right well not majority maybe it's about half and half because i did grow up with tv so there's that all that to say is that advertising has had that change too where it has had to go to the people to stay effective 
And there's other industries like journalism where, you know, they haven't, they didn't adapt digitally fast enough. And so unfortunately, community journalism is dying because of it because they claim, hey, there's not enough ad space, but they could have done something. They they were unwilling to change. Yeah. Yeah. And you mentioned about charities. I would say it's the people who had the authority within those charities. There's entities that had responsibility. Yeah. And it depended on their open mindedness Mm -hmm. to be, okay, this Mm -hmm. is how we did things. Yeah. Though now we could do things differently because our community has changed. Yeah, and really should do things differently. It's more like a should, (laughs) Yeah, at least to me. And and that's the tension. And there are people who get stuck in, I've done it this way, Yeah, and I'm going to continue to do it because that's Mm -hmm. what I know. So Mm -hmm. in my world, too, it's like getting people to explore the possibilities when they didn't realize there were possibilities present. Mm -hmm. So to go deeper within to the, I see this, I know this. Well, if you give them insight or more information, they go deeper, like the symbolism of an iceberg. Mm-hmm. What you see is not necessarily what is, because that's, yeah. that's on the surface. Yeah. And most people's lived experiences, feelings, concerns, wants, desires are below. You don't see those. Yeah. And we got to go, that's the stories. Yeah, absolutely. Right? We got to pull that out. Yeah. That's what makes it different. Like, it, to me, it's probably the only differentiator for anything now, especially because we are inundated with so much information that the only thing that differentiates one charity for another or one business to another is a story. Like that's why Nike ads are remembered because they are absolute masters or they're rather their agency, but also Nike because they have to approve the ads. Well, yeah, they are masters at storytelling because they are masters at what they do because you remember the story. Right. Well, I mean, doesn't the, the, the uh, company yeah. present, okay, we want it. We have this product. Yeah. And we're asking you, the ad agency, yeah. to create messaging yep. that will help us sell those that product. Yeah. So there has to be a lo- alignment. There is, yeah. But it's, but with companies like Nike and its agency, um, probably Gold Standard in advertising, they companies like Nike get to. It's why people like us want want to be able to work for someone because you don't always get to sell a product; you get to sell values, and you don't always get to do that in advertising. It's always just very granular and you're like okay we're gonna we have this event happening we have this product that's coming out you get to do that but companies like nike get to be more aspirational and sell values and that's where you have the stories and yes you have the partnerships the endorsements with various athletes but you know you learn stuff about serena and venus williams you learn stuff about colin kaepernick you learn stuff about coco goff and uh naomi Osaka. i know i'm talking about a lot of tennis stars because i just watched us open but um but in general you not only they they are masters at blending the product and the identity of all that with their values, and that's what really gets people going in terms of rem- it's brand recognition. You remember it so that yeah, when you actually do need a pair of shoes, you're gonna probably gonna go with those because a they look great because most of the time they do look great. But b you're like yeah, that was a pretty sick commercial, and it just it just sticks in your mind, and that's that's all. The at the end of the day, all we, we're spending all this money, all this time, to be stuck in your mind so that when it's time to act. You act in our favor and not the other person's. So what's the connection then with giving? So, mm. you know, charities, not-for-profits, yeah. they need funding. They need yep. money. Mm-hmm. Financial, are the, you know, they, they can be very precarious. Mm-hmm. And so what's the connection with giving? So the connection, and really there's there's been, I think that's what I realized when I was working and after I left the nonprofit world, I was like, there's a complete disconnect. There shouldn't be a disconnect because at the end of the day, you're, if you are in advertising, you want to be able to promote a cause, a product, whatever else. 
charities have those things too. Just because you know they're non, they're they don't generate money the like businesses do. To me, there should be no reason why they can't employ the same tactics that for-profit businesses do because it's effective. At the end of the day, it's still advertising. It's still you know pop culture psychology, all of that. You should be able to use some of the same tactics, but it's almost. But you use more of a bit of, you know, you have those values, you have that morality and whatever else, depending on who you are and what your values are in the lines with whatever charity. So there should be more of a connection with giving, even though there isn't, because at the end of the day, and that's why I've been able to people, if you look at like my LinkedIn or my resume, people are like, how are you able to work in so many different um, uh, disciplines and whatever else? I was like, honestly, because the fundamentals of marketing and advertising are the same no matter where you go. It's just a matter of whoever's willing to pay more. And some of the language is a little different, though. A little, yes, because, you you know, you might, depending on it, is you might have softer language or whatever. But think of the Sick Kids campaign. Everyone knows of the Sick Kids campaign that's been happening for a few years. And that, I, I can't, I think it's a pro bono agency that does it for them. But that campaign is phenomenal because it acts like an actual for-profit business. They employed one of the best photographers to do this really cool, you know, treatment of their photos. They got tons of airtime on television. They have radio. They it's it was basically run like an ad agency for profit business campaign, but it was a charity, and so people will give to Sick Kids because I mean I'm a beneficiary of Sick Kids. I was there a lot when I was a child, and so yeah, I'll give them some money because they helped me out. And it's for me way for me to give back. But if even if you're not, even if you don't have kids or you don't have, you never had to be in the hospital system for that long. You see their stuff everywhere, but it's because they put the money, the time, and the stories behind it. Even when you just look at the picture of a really cute kid who has, it looks like it looks like a composition of of a photo, and then you see, oh, they're missing an arm, oh, they're missing, they have a cleft lip. Like it looks, the photography to me again, because I, I love photography, it's phenomenal. But then it's the same caliber as a for-profit business. Just because it's a charity doesn't mean you spend less on it. To me, like you really need to be able to put the same time and effort, get the best minds in there. They might work for a little bit less because it's a, a charity and they realize that. But just because, and like, I think I we talked about this earlier, like where, you know, a lot of people end up leaving charity because even though they love doing it, they're not, we still have to live. We're still human beings. We have families to take care of. We have bills to pay. We have debt, especially if you're a student or a young person, you have debt to pay and you're not going to do it on 40,000 a year. That's just in this city, that's not feasible. Well, so. the reality is that not for profits and charities do not pay the same level as the for profit sector. No, and even with the CEOs, even though you see them on the sunshine list, you're like, wow, it's a lot of money. I, I've i worked in the financial sector for a long time, and trust me, most CEOs make triple what most CEOs of charities make. Or the executive directors. Absolutely. Call them. Yeah. So there's that, there's that dilemma where you're like, the way you advertise and really promote a cause for giving, it should be the same caliber as Nike, what they do. But unfortunately, yeah. because of certain circumstances, it, that's not always the case. But luckily with social media, and that's why I still love it, even though there's so many messed up things about it now more than when I started, but I still love doing it because it's still anyone's game. You can still enter it and spend a little bit of money and get reach for it rather than, you know, it's not like, you have to have money to have a, t a 360 campaign where you have TV, radio, all this other stuff. Social, you can, you have to invest in it. You can't just put organic in it anymore because that won't work because no one will see your stuff. But to me, it's still, social media is still the most accessible means 
to get a message across. Unfortunately, now it's more pay for play than it ever was, but you you still don't have to pay that much. And so, but that's why I usually, you know, people from charities have asked me stuff now and they're like, how do I get my message? I'm like, honestly, invest a little bit of money, like the same type of money that you're using to chase these donors, these super donors, whatever else, use some of that money for marketing. And honestly, if you use this much money um, to pay for a few, you know, posts to push it out, rather than using all your money towards an email campaign, because honestly, email campaigns don't work. I personally don't like them, but that's just me. Um, but if you use an email campaign as part of your overall social campaign, that will get further. And you might get more donations than if you just put your $100 into just one organic post, a couple of emails and whatever else, and then you get like maybe 50 bucks rather than the other way you get maybe 300 because you spent a little bit more. Yeah, and you talked about re reach. Yeah. So in the community development world, mm -hmm. I used to do a lot of outreach, right? which mm -hmm. is really in the for-profit yeah. marketing. Yeah. It's getting marketing. your message. It's making connections. Mm -hmm. It's presenting information that will hopefully resonate with the listeners, the audience. Absolutely. Because you still have to, people still need an incentive to do anything. You're not like, there are some people who, bless their hearts, are genuine and have the resource and they're just going to give no matter what. But not everybody's like that. And especially now, we are so distracted that not everyone is going to do that. They're like, what do I get out of this, right? Other than, you know, you really, it's feeling good about helping somebody else. But mm -hmm. you still have to convince them to do that. And that's what that's where marketing comes in. Because it's essentially, it is psychology. Well, also, too, they have to feel they trust that if you're going to give the donation, that it's going to go where it's supposed to go. Absolutely. And not for other purposes. Yep. Self-interest of people who have maybe some control mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. focus control within an entity yeah. that marginalizes mm -hmm. really the full value of the donation. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, trust building, trust happening, yeah. trust creating is really, I, I think it's fundamental. Yeah, trust and a relationship. Because even in social, you have, I, I've said a couple of times where you have organic and then you have paid marketing. There's like, I'm... When I came up, I was mostly organic, but now I'm sophisticated enough that I know how to do paid marketing now too. But you need both to really carry the message forward. The organic stuff, you it's everyday posting where you have behind the scenes of the staff, whatever else, and you know you build that trust in that relationship. But then the paid, you use that on top, you use you piggyback on top of the organic to get to newer people who are not already part of your community, and that you can really do some outreach. So those two things you need to have together and. It's unfortunate how many charities still don't know that very, honestly, it's a very basic thing now, but, the, so how, but that means there's opportunity to how do learn. You, how do you see them getting the message? So moving for the future. Yeah. How do you see giving happening more for charities? How do you see some so tangible change? It's difficult because there's an excellent article by Vicky Machama in The Walrus, I believe, about mutual aid. And there's more giving going on between people, individual peoples and communities than charities. And I kind of alluded to that in my article at Flair and that, you know, charities, especially the, and I was mostly talking about larger ones, larger ones are rigid because, you know, you can donate, but it might take some time for that money to flow through the system and get to the person that needs it rather than, hey, it's why GoFundMes have been blowing up. I mean, they were blowing up even before this year, but even more so now because they're like, hey, I need this money right now. I can't wait for, you know, CERB, I may not apply for that. I may not be eligible for that. Um, but I need, I still, my bills don't stop. I still need to pay these bills. So, you know, who's got 20 bucks? Um, on Facebook, there's an amazing caremongering group. 
that it's now 15, maybe 20,000 members. And it's fascinating to see people just like, hey, I'm on ODSP and my check, I'm two days away from getting my check, but I need milk today. Can someone just e-transfer me like five bucks for me to go to the store and get some milk? So there's that happening on one level. There's grassroots stuff where there's mutual aid. And I really recommend reading that article by her because it's really great. But then with charities, um, the future might have to be where they they definitely need to a, a regain trust because people don't, and they have to recognize that not everyone has money. Like some of the, when I was at UNICEF, we realized in digital, in a digital marketing sense that the majority of the money that came through was smaller donations that were more consistent, not the big donors that came each time with whatever campaign. It was smaller donations by everyday people who gave 10 bucks a month. Right. So if you focus more on that rather than, Hey, you know, just, consistent that it keeps going to one and you prove that it's going to a certain place at this certain time. And then also realizing that not everyone can give with money. That's the other thing too, because you give with your time, you give with your resources, you give with your network. You're not always going to be able to give money because this year, so many people have lost their jobs. They don't have money. Yeah. Right. So it's, I feel like charities are really going to take a hard look at themselves and they're current system and how they've been operating, realizing that it's probably not going to work going forward. Um, there are 86,000 charities. I think that was from the um, the census in 2018. I would be surprised if there are a lot less than that by the time the next census rolls around, just because A, a lot of them can't sustain themselves right now, which is unfortunate, but B, I would hope that also they might need to merge with other charities. Like, pull your resources. Or re-envision your work. Your Absolutely. Mandate. You need to re-envision your work. Because if you don't, you, you well, might you, be charity case yourself. <laughs> yeah. So we, we need to close out very quickly. Okay. How about you put out, what's tomorrow for you? Yeah. So tomorrow, um, I am speaking with the Office of Social Innovation at Ryerson University. I will be giving a talk. It's a public lecture based on a class that talks about social innovation, which is super cool. It's a very... A uh, huge topic that includes social enterprise, which has been a buzzword lately with We Charity. Um, that is tomorrow at three o'clock. It is on their website. It's an Eventbrite event, but you can go on their Instagram, Twitter, um, Facebook. So it's the Office of Social Innovation at Ryerson University, and it's their Unexpected Visitor Series, which apparently I'm the first speaker for that. Uh, so yeah, it is unexpected because it came through Twitter. So bless Twitter for that. But yeah, um, that's tomorrow at three o'clock and there's, it's a zoom link. You register and you'll get a link, uh, tomorrow at some point. And it's free. It is free. Very much free. Right. I insist that it's and free. And it's obviously going to be a good thing because you're part of it. Oh, thank you. So <laughs> I'm just I, happy to be able to talk to people about I wanna, this. I want to thank you very much for helping inform and educate thank and you. broaden the scope of uh, knowledge for people. Thank you. Yes. I'm, I'm very fortunate I'm able to do this and contribute to the conversation. All right. So we'll see you again sometime. I hope so. This was great. Okay, cool. You've been listening to Mediation Station on CHHA, 1610 AM.